I think it's beautiful what I've been seeing in the trailers. I find it inspiring myself. And like I said, I think we're just capable of so much. Just don't focus on what society tells you. Listen to your heart and what you feel you can accomplish. Welcome everyone to JCV Art Studio. This is season four. I can't believe that. Um, I had my cake. Yeah, this is like episode 102. I had my cake and it was chocolate and it had caramel in it and I had wine. Okay, to celebrate season four. So my name is Joanna. I am the author of The Unraveling and Dealer's Child. And um Gosh, what's the latest update on the Ozzy and Pepper Chronicles? Uh, Ozzy's foot has healed, and we went for our first run yesterday, so that's that's good. I accidentally stepped on his foot when I was looking after the puppy and felt super guilty, but it's healed, and we, we went out yesterday. So today, I have author J. Lynn Ells joining me. We are going to talk about book one of her Awakening series, and that book is Descendants of Avalon. So a little bit about Jay Lynn. Jay Lynn Els is an award-winning author from Minnesota who self-published two historical fiction novels set in ancient Egypt, The Forgotten, Aten's Last Queen in 2013, which was named an Indie Editor's Choice book for 2016 by the Historical Novel Society and The Forgotten, Heir of the Heretic, 2016, as well as a sci-fi novella, Strangely Constructed Souls, and that was in 2018. Through Inklings Publishing, she's authored an Arthurian-influenced, female-driven fantasy trilogy, Descendants of Avalon, 2018, which we'll be talking about today. Lost Daughters of Avalon came out in 2019 and Destiny of Avalon 2021. Her short story, The Girl from the Haunted Woods, won second place in the Journey into the Fantastical Anthology Contest. And in 2021, she became the Indie Reviewer Reviews Editor for the Historical Novel Society. 
She believes in unicorns and practicing random acts of awesome, which I think is so cool. Jaylin, thank you. You know, I've had some technical difficulties and I have one dog that's totally ticked off with me. <laughs> oh, that is perfectly fine. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show and for your time. I appreciate it. And yeah, your, your dog sounds, sounds like they just love you so much. They can't wait to see you again. It's because before the pandemic, I used to work full time and uh, I'd be out the door. Okay. Mm -hmm. Pandemic, I was able to start working from home. You know, I retired in January and I'm around them all the time now. And it, it is, it's that separation anxiety, you know? And, yeah. And yeah. So anyways, I, I have to say to you, how do I sound? Because when my spouse and I have visited the U.S., you know, we've gone to Las Vegas or we've gone to California, people will ask us. I remember one time in particular in, in Las Vegas, someone asked us where we were and they went, oh, I could have sworn you were from Minnesota. You sound like you're from Minnesota. So how do I sound? <laughs> I think you sound Canadian. Okay. Is what I think. Okay. All right. <laughs> See, we have we, we can have a very thick accent here. We can do the oh, don't you know we're all bacon snickerdoodles? Um, that's that's my um, you know, irritating Minnesota accent that I like to make fun of. But okay. no, I think you sound more more Canadian, but we are, you know, we're really close. It's like yeah. we're you know, siblings here, you know, up in the cold North up here. So, so yes, okay. I, is, am I correct? Are you, you're Canadian? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. oh hell yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the only thing we will get into your book, but you're very, I can tell now you're very easy to talk to. The only thing I do not like, which everybody promotes about being Canadian are beaver tails. Okay. Really? <laughs> yeah. And it's that, that, that thick pastry, which they then deep fry, I think. And then they load it up with chocolate syrup. And I, I just, <laughs> I just, oh, <laughs> that is the first time I've heard of the beaver tails, to be honest. One of, one of my friends, she grew up in Canada, so she's never mentioned that. So I'll have to ask her if that's something that she, that she has, if she likes or, yeah. or whatnot, but. Yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah. Anyways. So let's talk about you. Let's talk about your book. Okay. Um, the novel, your novel, the message, um, descendants of Avalon, the messages that come through, uh, we have Jeannie, we have Beth, May and Wit. Um, Beth and Jeannie are experiencing sad, stressful family situations. They're teenagers. Yet the message that I think, now correct me, is it Jeannie who mm -hmm. says in her own inner dialogue that she doesn't expect anyone to save them from their problems? And when I read that, I thought, yes, oh, you know, it was <laughs> encouraging. And I was wondering, did you plan from the outset to have that type of a message in, in your book? 100% yes, I definitely, I wanted to, the goal was to create unique female characters because, you know, growing, growing up the books that I would read, there's usually just like one female character, um, often not the lead. I mean, you, you get that with 
say Harry Potter or Percy Jackson, which are books I love, but the female character is both very similar. They're both very smart. They're not always willing to laugh about things. So I really wanted to create a book where I could see myself as someone who's often awkward, um, sometimes puts her foot in her mouth, um, likes to tell jokes, likes to stand up for her friends. Um, That's just really, I wanted to let girls see themselves and different aspects of themselves that maybe society says isn't completely natural or beautiful or, you know, I wanted any vulnerability or any little personality trait, you know, you're just amazing as you are every single person out there. And I wanted other girls and teens to be able to see that in these characters. So that's really why I wanted to write this so much. I mean, one of the, the thing that really kicked me in the butt to get me going, like it was percolating. I had some ideas, I had started it, but then I watched a movie in which there were two guys having all this magical fun and the girls were the squares and they're the ones who turned them in. I was like, you know what? No, no, I'm sick of this. I want the girls to have the fun. I want the girls to tell the jokes. I want them to make mistakes and I want them to be there for each other. So that was really one of my main goals writing the first book, Descendants of Avalon, was to have those diverse and interesting and different female characters. Good, good. Yes. (laughs) And, And thank you so much over the book right um, yay I'm glad um, you got it I'm glad you read it and I appreciate I really appreciate that because it's just like I don't know what I'm getting into right so it was just like fist pumps and I'm thinking yes yes you know we don't have to be on the sidelines and I'll tell you I was never the popular kid in school you know I just no I wasn't either nope and and it's like I didn't even try (laughs) so okay now Descendants of Avalon it has this beautiful cover and it's interesting because you know I put together the the promotional video for season four and I included this cover okay and uh I didn't know what it meant at first. And so then when I'm reading it and you have the coin and you have the well, I'm just like, that's so cool. So, okay. Enough me talking. (laughs) Tell us, tell us, tell our listeners what Descendants of Avalon is about. Well, as you can see, even from the cover, it's kind of Jeannie's journey. You know, they make that they, as a friends, they make this wish in a wishing well. They don't realize that this wish is going to tip the balance of power in the magical land of Avalon, which the well is connected to. Um, So they end up having to go to Avalon to retrieve these magical wishes they made before the evil wizard can get them and reforge Excalibur. He wants to do this so he can cut his bonds and take over Earth once again with his evil magic. So really that's what it's about. And I love the Arthurian elements. And Avalon is just, you know, its own little island of mystery that I wanted to bring in. So, you know, when you're thinking about fantasy books and worlds, and I just thought this was just an untapped piece of history that maybe I could bring forward and get into and really dive into some of those female characters too, because there were a number of women in kind of some of those legends. So that's kind of fun to dive into. And yeah, so it's really about that Arthurian twist, friendship, um, really 
finding value in yourself because they're just normal teenagers in this magical world. So you're like, oh, well, how do I stand up next to this guy who's been training to be a knight? Even though he's my age, he's like carrying a sword. But it's really about finding the things about yourself that allow you to do extraordinary things. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, can you give the listeners like um, an idea of what Avalon is about? Because honestly, I Googled it when I first. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What what it you said it's an island. So, yeah, it was this magical island in Arthurian legend. The name translates into the Isle of Fruit Trees or Apple Trees, which is kind of what they mention at, at first. Jeannie mentions it. Um, and it's where Arthur was taken after his final battle. He was gravely wounded. He was going to die. And this was his final journey to Avalon. And he was taken there by some of the women of that time. And then, you know, you never saw him again. And there's always that legend about when he is needed, King Arthur will return. There's always kind of that legend. So I really wanted to explore maybe what was there. I mean, if you're about to die and you're going to this island, what is there that will keep you? Like, what is there that will save you? Or I thought it would be very peaceful. There'd be peaceful aspects. There'd be magical aspects. But at the same time, nothing is perfect. And so that's kind of where um, our, our our four teenagers step into. There's kind of this cusp where things are about to break open and they're the ones who can change it to save Avalon and keep that island, you know, as beautiful as it is. It's kind of becoming corrupted now. And so they're there to bring kind of this breath of fresh air and new insight and help get Avalon back to the way it was. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the other thing as I'm reading, you know, Jeannie, she is learning about King Arthur and she's working on her final report for world history. And this question is part of her assignment. So I'm asking, is King Arthur a historical character? character or mythical i believe there is a grain of truth in that there was someone who arthur was you know eventually you know he took on that arthur kind of kind of being that's who people wrote about because the time period itself the romans had just left you know they left the country in shambles all these different tribes they had tried to take over everything break up all the the kingdoms so after Rome leaves they're ripe for conquering again from the Vikings you know then the Vikings start coming and start taking things over so I think there was someone back then who helped unite some of those kingdoms to preserve kind of that Welsh way of life and to preserve their to bring back their their home again after they've been invaded for so long and been controlled by these emperors you know at a faraway land so I think there probably was someone there who eventually morphed into this Arthur figure. Now that's cool. Cause I'm just thinking those times, what they would have had to write down for their history. Like I'm just thinking of those, what would they have had? So, I think most of it was oral. I yeah. mean, that's what a lot of the Druids would preserve kind of those oral history. So a lot of the stories weren't written till much later. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes like monastery records will have mentions of people and whatnot. And 
So yeah, I think there's a lot of mystery there, but I do think there was someone who was the inspiration for Arthur. Cool. Oh, I love that stuff. Oh, I love it. Okay. Now you have, actually, I'm, I'm getting excited here. I need to remain professional. Come on, Joe. Okay. So before I jump to my next question, because I found this character super cool. Um, did you find it challenging or was it just downright fun working in Merlin, working in Excalibur? Guinevere, working those legend legends into your own story. Um, like, was it fun? Was it challenging? Was there anything you particularly wanted to pay it, pay attention to? How, how was, like, I was wondering, I thought, I wonder if this was challenging for her to do uh, as an author, right? Yeah. I mean, it was fun, but there's all sorts of contradicting information, all different stories, you know, because many of the different pieces were written over centuries, like they just kept developing and developing. So I wanted to find kind of a middle ground while respecting some of the history that happened, but also put with, in the case of Guinevere, put more of a feminist twist on it. You know, there is a story of her being captured and taken to another kingdom. What if she had a bit more agency than the story kind of said? Cause then Lancelot comes and saves her and brings her back. And I just wanted to see things through different eyes and maybe reimagine some of those, those events. Maybe Guinevere took care of it herself and she didn't need saving, you know, what would that be like? So I found it fun to explore the different possibilities because you really find that women's voices aren't heard or are kind of dismissed at that time. Who back then would have believed that like Guinevere, a queen would have, you know, taking care of her own problem, you know, it's the men who do all of this stuff. She's supposed to take care of the household and what, and the children, she's not supposed to be like rebelling against anybody or fighting back. That was not the expectation, um, according to many writers back then. So, I mean, who knows? There's also before Arthur, there was Boudicca who was, who fought against the, um, Roman oppressors. I didn't know about Boudicca. Oh, she's a fascinating story too. She's, um, beyond they were beyond um Hadrian's wall she had this kingdom her husband died and her husband wanted to leave part of his kingdom to his daughter he had daughters Roman rule they're like no women can't lead we can't so they found a way to punish them um and take their kingdom leave them just stripped of everything and Boudicca their mom decided to fight back And she led an army against some of the Roman oppressors and they made it all the way to down to London and kind of took some of that over again. Um, She was eventually defeated, but her story is very inspirational. Like you're messing with my kids. I am coming at you, you know, and that was before King Arthur's time. And she's also a very fascinating character. I'm trying to read more about. I did just read a story about her recently. So there were those women warriors out there. There were Viking shield maidens. There were stronger women. I think just the culture that developed really minimized those roles for women. And so that's what I kind of wanted to take back with this story. So yeah, I found it fun and exciting. So sweet. I never knew about Boudicca. Oh, oh yeah, you'll have to look her up. She's cool too. <laughs> oh, I will. Okay, so thinking of your next 
cool character. Twig lady. Like, that just has <laughs> such um, interest. Twig lady. As soon as I say that, I know the authors who listen to this podcast, or anyone, as soon as I twig, say twig lady, everyone's going to have their immediate picture of this mm-hmm. character. So how did she come about? <laughs> so, so Vivian, yes. Um, <laughs> I think we all like our wizards mysterious and quirky. And since she's kind of the first bit of magic we get, I wanted her to be a little quirky and have our main characters be like, whoa, you know, don't totally trust it. They're like, yeah. what is going on? Stay away from that. Um, and after all, she does live in a town that is up in the trees. You know, yeah. their towns are not on the ground per se, but up in the branches of these ginormous trees. So I just thought it'd be fun to make her a little disheveled because, you know, she doesn't care about appearance, appearances. She's walking around in this beautiful woodlands. If she gets twigs in her hair, she gets twigs in her hair. <laughs> That's fine. So I just thought that would be a fun introduction. Um Instead of more of the straight serious, oh, I've been around for how many years, whatnot. I just wanted to make her a little more fun. So, yeah. And it, uh, yeah. And if she is, I could see like the older person, an older character is going to get to the point where, like you said, yeah, I've got a few twigs. Hey, <laughs> no more. Yeah. I mean, I think at a certain age, you just get a pass on everything. You know, <laughs> you, you've done your due diligence, you know, do what you want to do now. If you feel like just chilling out, go ahead. Yeah. If yeah. you feel like having a few twigs in your hair, more power to you. <laughs> Love it. You were, you're going to start a new thing, you know. You, you, I think you, I'm going to have to put some in my hair now. <laughs> oh, you got to you gotta merchandise that, you know. Okay. Like little twig barrettes or something. To, twig barrettes or yeah. headbands where they kind of stick out like antlers. Yeah. That would be funny. Yeah. All right. You got yeah. me a new idea. I'm excited. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so Jeannie, she, she has these thoughts. And, you know, it's like I get to say again, the messages and it's, her inner dialogue and um you know maybe she reminded me a bit of my mom because my mom had I remember I I guess I remember my mom saying some of these things to my sisters and I okay now this is my mom how do I say this she of course she loved us wholeheartedly but she also survived grew up as a teenager through World War II so she's had different things, different life circumstances shape her. Okay. But I'm just, I'm just going to read these inner th- these thoughts of genies. Um, you write time to toughen up, face reality and take ownership of my problems. It was time to talk to mom about things. And I really liked reading that, you know, um, like that, like, like I said, I just, you know, I, I think of my mother, she would never, she was never cruel. You know, she'd be saying to us, come on, you, you can stop crying now. Crying's not going to get you, not going to get you anywhere. Like toughen up. You, you think you've got problems, you know, think of someone else, you know, and right. Just, and I just, I love the ownership, the ownership of these four characters. Um, 
your thoughts about that? Like you, you've mentioned it a, a bit before, you wanted them to to be their own. So tell me about that. Yeah, yeah it was, re- I think it's just so easy to lose touch with reality and human interactions at times because everything is so virtual. Yeah. Especially, and school was virtual for quite a while. So uh, when you're online, sometimes there's just no accountability to anything. You can say whatever you want. And I don't think a lot of the younger generation realize that sometimes that is hurtful, damaging. Um, You know, and growing up with, well, when my kids were growing up, I remember they would go on a ride somewhere, say with my dad. And when they leave his house, he'd wave at his neighbors and they'd be like, why are you waving? Well, that's our neighbors. You know, we, you always drive by and wave at your neighbors. It did not comprehend for them that you would do that, you know, just as a common courtesy. And I do that too. And I'm driving by, I'll wave and my kids would be like, mom, stop. (laughs) You know, they don't understand. It's just, that's the way I was raised. And so, yeah, I really wanted them from, from the start you know, Jeannie's having problems coping with, with what's happening and she really doesn't want to talk about it. And so I think it's through this journey that she sees a different side of herself, maybe a different side of what her parents might be going through. And she doesn't have to blame herself because she blames herself for them uh, and what, and the problems that they're having. And I think that's very common for children to blame themselves. If parents are having problems, they can be like, oh, well, that's, and if they're hearing an argument, they hear their name slip in, they might be like, well, it's my fault. Yeah. But through this journey, she kind of learns, no, things are not her fault. Things are more complicated than they look. And that's really part of that journey I wanted her to take. Yeah. Um, Being comfortable with talking about something that's maybe very uncomfortable. Yeah. But it's very important. So yeah. yeah, that's it was part of her journey is to go through that and realize, yeah, I need, you know, this is a difficult topic, but I need to talk about it because it's important. Yeah. And it's that taking ownership, that responsibility. Right. Yeah. 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 And I think they learned a lot of that in the journey too. They can't just let other people do this for them. They have to come. They started, you know, this wish that, you know, could set their evil wizard free so they're the ones who have to go find this there's no easy solution here I didn't want magic used to make things easier I wanted you to think more about it like magic isn't just something that's easy it has a cost you know it it takes work and practice and that's something that I appreciate when other writers do that where characters just don't insta learn things they're they're not just instantly good at it you know and I didn't want my characters to have that either so that's kind of what this whole journey is about well I like it that even though it's fantasy there's realism in it like I I like it when authors do that you know and Mm -hmm. because for me it's almost like it gives you the reader because I write I write thrillers mystery you know, very much in the, I don't want to say real time, but this time. So I like it when I can like grab onto something, the realism in a fantasy novel. And then it's like, okay, take me on this ride. You know, like I'm, I'm in, like I I can, I, well, it's connecting. It's connecting with the author and what the author's written. Right. Yeah. I really like the thought that magic is still out there. And maybe we just need to knock on the right door and we'll find it. So that's, that's why I liked having both worlds in, in the book. Yeah. Okay. 
Now, this is Descendants of Avalon is the first book. Can you tell us a little bit about the second and the third books and where it takes off with, with I don't want to say with the girls, what with the girls? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they really are going to explore Avalon a lot more. They're going to explore the land, a little bit more of the history. So book two starts off when they are back at home and suddenly they're, they're outside, they're at this falls, kind of this pool where they can go swimming. And suddenly the questing beast just jumps out of the falls and they're like, whoa, Avalon's coming to us now. <laughs> um, now that doesn't, the story does go back to Avalon because yeah. I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to deal with the parents discovering any of this yet. Yeah. That comes more in book three. Yeah. So they go back to Avalon for the second book and they find out that, that Vivian, aka Twig Lady, and then <laughs> some of their knights have disappeared. Uh-oh. Meanwhile, Vivian was exploring maybe some of the magical ties that the four maybe have to Avalon, maybe some ancient connection they may have to this world. So they're on this quest now to find their friends. And there's a secret kind of person who's causing mayhem that you don't really discover who it is till the end. I hope you can't guess it. And so that's kind of book two is going back and Book three, I'm most excited about because I bring in some of ancient Egypt. So two of the characters get to travel to the Egyptian underworld. I was so excited about that. The villain is an evil genie genie, um, who really, he I mean, it is him trying to get his magical lamp back because that's his reservoir of power. He has the spell in mind and he can't do it without his lamp. And so they have to go get it, which the queens had cast into Duat, which is that underworld. So some are on this magical journey. Others are in Avalon trying to find out a way to undo this, you know, to break his power. So there's a lot of other things happening in book three as well. I bring in a a lot of new characters, especially for ancient Egypt, which, you know, is just a passion of mine. I love ancient Egypt. So I'm really excited about both books. My son has read all three. Yeah. He is 19. Yeah. And he did say book two was his favorite. Oh, cool. So, and that one does also, you get to meet a dragon. So I'm just, oh, just cool. throwing that out there. <laughs> oh, cool. Now, I was reading your author's journey. And it was your author's journey as an indie author. And you write, I'm going to quote you here. Go for it. (laughs) I was getting frustrated with the way historical women were being portrayed in numerous books, which focused more on their sexual escapades than their own self-sustaining strength in overcoming social bonds. I wanted to satisfy both my wants as a reader and a writer. Now, I don't have a question about that. But thank you. Thank <laughs> well, you're you. welcome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, I sometimes I feel that we are on. Sometimes I feel like we. I feel like we're on the edge of busting open a door. Sometimes with mm-hmm. how women are now trying to portray even themselves. Okay. 
do you feel that like and that's why I guess your book gave me your book gives me hope because I'm seeing different generations of women who are saying enough is enough right we we don't have to you know stand on the sidelines so yeah how yeah. do you feel about that yeah there's always I mean I love history, especially ancient history, but there's always this double standard, especially in Greek and Roman history. I mean, look, just look at Medusa. Yeah. Poseidon forces himself on her, but then she's the one who's punished. Yeah. Why wasn't Poseidon punished? She didn't ask for that. Yeah. You know, so I really just wanted something when I was writing the books in ancient Egypt, you know, it focuses on the daughters of King um Akhenaten, who proposed monotheism, which is crazy because, you know, ancient Egyptians had so many gods. And he was also kind of booting out the main god everyone would pray to and proposing his own. So not only is there a ton of conflict in the court, but you have his wife was Nefertiti. Everyone kind of knows her bust, you know, beautiful, formidable woman back then. People remember her and they remember her for a reason. I think she was, she played a significant role in with Akhenaten and um, with their children. So I really wanted to give those daughters a little, a little bit of their own footing too, as they learn about their world and as they're overcoming these challenges. Um, the main character in the first, first book, Ankes and Amun, is forced to marry her brother, King Tut, who yeah. we all know. I mean, he was nine and she was 12 at the time. I was, when I was doing my research, I thought, Mm -hmm. say what? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And they have to put together this country again, who's just all shattered and people are angry, especially some of the priests of Amun. And there's so much weight on their shoulders. How much influence did they have? How much were the people around them saying, you know, I wanted her to be observing these things, learning and trying to make her own way. So, I mean, how can you be a bystander in such turbulent times? I have no doubt, you know, Nefertiti and her daughters played some role in all of this. And I just wanted to give them a voice and maybe a possible way they could have overcome some of these odds. Yeah. Cool. Oh, oh, I got to get my fingers on that book. (laughs) (laughs) So have you seen the movie trailer for the woman king i have i saw it saw it recently yeah. it just all all the the costuming and just the empowerment in those trailers are just like I'm, i i just sit there with my jaw dropped like yeah. that's so amazing i wish yeah. i could do that yeah. <laughs> i just read that it hit number one for I guess oh. I guess the box office sales or I I can't remember what I I first heard about it at TIFF the Toronto International Film Festival and um, I tell you Fiona Davis I'm sorry uh, Viola Davis I got the name wrong here Viola Davis my sincere <laughs> yeah. apologies um, if I could quote her from just it was an Entertainment Tonight video um not video like segment episode Mm -hmm. so you know she says 
Now she and I are the same age. So you can imagine oh. that I was going to say it was 50 ish, but no, I, I'm owning it. I'm 56. <laughs> right? So Viola Davis says, when I started the martial arts training, I was like, I'm 56. I'm a woman. I can't take down this dude. I can't do this. I can't do that. And then suddenly I could. I saw my possibility. I see that every day when I come to work, I see the possibilities in women. And in a time when I feel sometimes that women are going forward, sometimes I feel that society is trying to take us backwards. So it was so inspiring to see that that quote from Viola da- Viola Davis. And you were saying that too. Like you were saying that in your books, you want your characters to see their possibilities, what they could do. Yeah. And, you know, right now in the United States, it's a, it's really a, a scary time for women. It's been just a shameful time. It's hard to hold your head up as an American when all these laws are being passed about women, restricting yeah. women, restricting gay rights. You know, it's it's extremely frustrating. Yeah. Um, I love what you read that that she had said about this training and how at first you're you're just seeing all the obstacles, but then she sees something more. She sees herself. Yeah. And I think society is very very much bases its opinion on us based on our external. They don't know the possibility we have inside. And so that's what, you know, I think what grabs me when I see the Woman King trailers too is that that unexpected role. And also, like you said, she's, she's not 19, she's not 16, you know, Hollywood likes their stars to be young. And there's a lot of like geriatric shaming and whatnot out there in the world too. And I'm not saying she's geriatric at all, but I'm saying older people, even myself in my forties, we would never be considered for a lead role in a movie that has to do with fighting and you know representing your country and I think it's beautiful what I've been seeing in the trailers I find it inspiring myself and like I said I think we're just capable of so much just don't focus on what society tells you listen to your heart and what you feel you can accomplish (laughs) if that helps and it's fire so yeah I'm taking that with me yeah okay yeah So there are so many Easter eggs in this novel Um, without giving too much away. It was the pledge. The girls make a pledge and they become the Knights of the Quarry table. And I was, again, I'm just like fist pump. I'm like, yes. (laughs) So how, how did that scene come about? Like, I, I don't want to ask the obvious questions like are you a plotter or are you a pencil I, I did that in episodes <laughs> one and two okay 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 but what I'm wondering is did you know through the outset like when you started out that they would become knights of the query table like <laughs> or as you're writing did things did 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 these four girls say to you hey we're gonna have our own we're gonna be the knights of the query table like how did that all come about <laughs> My characters do occasionally speak to me. Um, yes, yes I, I am a very character-driven 
author and I like to let my characters kind of take over and be like, I know how I'd react, but how would they react? Yeah. You know, that's why I like to kind of drive things forward. Um, the quarry table. So I lived when I was much younger. Um, I lived up North Minnesota and the environment there compared to where I am now is very different. We're very plains down here, but where I used to live, there were lots of quarries. So that's how I came up with it. I was sure that they'd go to a quarry. Maybe they'd go agate hunting. You know, there's so many, you know, things that's unique about that environment and that setting up in Northern Minnesota. So I just thought it sounded right. You know, there's Knights of the Round Table. They're going to be Knights of the Quarry Table because that's what we have in our world. We have these quarries of rock and fossils and, you know, Avalon back then they had the Round Table and that was astounding in itself because it was the first like round everybody's equal table. You know, King Arthur sitting, making himself equal with everybody else. And I wanted these friends to let, um, each other know that it's okay to show your vulnerable parts. Yeah. You know, it's something Beth is struggling with. Yeah. She doesn't know how to get these parts of herself out into the world and feel accepted. And she doesn't want to lose her friends, but that's silly because, you know, they're your friends. And I thought this, this kind of pledge that they all made kind of helped solidify that friendship theme mm-hmm. I'm going for. And maybe a little bit of that found family as yeah. well. Like if, nothing else. We are here for you. We support you. We love you. And we're in this together. And so I thought that was kind of a fun pledge for them to do. Yeah. Well, it was a question I had, which I ended up taking out because like I said, I had had lots of questions and even I think it's Jeannie in her inner dialogue, you know, she's kind of, I don't I don't want to say berating herself, but she's just like, you know, why is it we say we're fine when we're not fine? You know, like that's in in the book, you know, and she's thinking to herself how, what Beth's going through, what her friends are going through. And and she's just like, you know, I've been so focused on my own troubles, right? And uh, yeah, that was another, I remember I'm I'm tagging things in the book. I thought, (laughs) yeah, why do we do that? Why do we say, oh, I'm fine? No, you're not. (laughs) Yeah. When people, I mean, it's so automatic too. And so when people say, how are you? I try to think of something fun, you know, like when I'm coming into work on Monday, I'll be like, Hey, I'm awake. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, I try to come up with something different, but it's just so built into our society. It's just so automatic. Like I don't want to say I'm fine. Even if I am, I want to say something more fun. So I, I think that's something too, to just break that automatic narrative where we have this narrative. This is what's the norm. Nope let's go a little different. Let's make it fun. Yeah. I'm I awake. Like, like That's that. my day today. <laughs> I like that. I'm here. I remember once, uh, one coworker said to me, Hey, I'm here. <laughs> right. That's an accomplishment. If you can take a win for the day, just showing up to work, take the win. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now I have to ask you easy, fun, like a fun question here. What are Funko Pop figures? I have never heard of that before. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, that was in my earlier bio that I collect a whole bunch of pop figures. Okay. So Funko Pop figures, they're, they're just a cute little toy. They're made of plastic. I, I, they just make everything with the dimensions and everything. They just make it everything so cute. Okay. So 
I collect mostly the Star Wars ones. I have some Stranger Things. I have a very unhealthy obsession with Baby Yoda slash Grogu right now. And I have many Funko Pop figures of Baby Yoda. Um, So they're just a fun collectible that I should not be spending my money on. But I do because (laughs) you see him and you're like, I can't help it. He must come home with me. (laughs) Just one of those things. Well, I have three rocks on my desk and it's it's just because I have uh, the rough draft of a speculative fiction novel and um, my character gets her power from rocks so it's it's um it's not like I'm I'm going outside and bringing rocks (laughs) that's not what I'm doing (laughs) but you know where you go to those okay so where I live in Victoria um there's a it's called a mystic shop in what's called Fantan Alley and some people have said that's where it used to be a store a store where you could buy stuff for witches you know like in different books like it's it's, yeah so in there they have different crystals and different rocks and they take rocks and they slice them in half so you can see the insides right yes yes so, I've seen videos on that it's so cool yeah so anyway so you have rocks I think that's awesome too because you get that tactile sensation when you're trying to write about yeah. your character that's great well then my husband's cleaning it like you are so easy to talk to I'm now telling you my life um <laughs> like go ahead go ahead <laughs> so we've moved and we're finally getting settled so we're taking all the stuff out of storage right and he found one that he had from when he graduated and it's the same thing a rock that's been sliced in half and you can see and so that's oh yeah so okay I collect rocks yeah okay so (laughs) very cool final question and I tell you Jalen if you ever get a chance to come to Victoria please look me up. Um, there is a tea store called Murchies on Government Street, which I think you would just love. So on your website, it, and your website is Tea Sippin' Nerdy Mom. So I'm going to say a name of a tea. And I just, I just want, I want to see your response. I've actually tried this tea. Here we go. Lap Sang Sushong. I think you said it probably much better than I would have. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Black tea. Yeah. Um, it's not one I have too often. It's it's a bit smokier. Like yeah. it, it tastes a little smoky. Um, I'm a big, I am a fan of black tea, flavored black. I like green tea and white tea and some oolong. I like either kind of the subtle, like I have a few local places here that it's just always my go-to. And um the one I just had was candy apple white. It's a white tea, very subtle in flavor, but just so kind of refreshing and you can have it either cold or hot. And so it's kind of those teas that I really enjoy. Um, yeah, there's so much about tea I could talk about. Cause just behind me here, I have like shelves and shelves of it I'm on a tea buying ban because I have no room in my shelves it's overflowing so I need to drink some more tea and then I can get more so cool well that's really cool this has been a great great interview Jalen thank you oh thank you thank you I appreciate being here and, and talking with you and thank you for the questions and I'm glad we could 
explore some more girl power. So yeah, yay. yeah power yeah. to us. Yeah. Well, my, my, my daughters are in their early thirties and it's just, I'm thinking about what you said in your forties. I'm 56 and it's just neat for me to see the decades that this is what we're all striving for, you know? So Mm -hmm. yeah, we're all together in this. So okay. Jalen, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.